Good morning and Happy New Year. I'm Angela Davis and you're listening to NPR News. Thanks for joining us. It's a new week and a new year. 2024 has arrived and my talk show team and I want to help you start the new year out on the right foot. This hour, we're sharing some advice that we heard from a few of our favorite guests in recent months. Advice on how to manage unhealthy family relationships and advice on how to better manage our time. So get ready to say goodbye to family drama in 2024 and adios to feeling overwhelmed by a never-ending to-do list. We're going to listen back to conversations that describe setting boundaries and sharpening our focus all that so that we can live better lives. Let's start with the family drama. It's a problem that creates a lot of stress for many of us. Our relatives can be our biggest source of strength, but some of them can also be a huge drain on our mental health. You can't easily walk away from a sibling or parent, an uncle, aunt, or child who causes you pain and conflict. And if you do, the hurt can linger for years. So how do we stop family drama or at least learn to cope with it? How can we identify unhealthy family patterns and make choices that protect us, break the cycle of hurt, and heal? Shortly before the holidays, I talk with therapist and best-selling book author Nedra Glover-Tawab. Her first book was all about setting boundaries and finding peace. It became a New York Times bestseller in 2021. In 2023, she came out with a second book that specifically addresses unhealthy family relationships and the emotional pain they can cause. It's called Drama Free, a guide to managing unhealthy family relationships. Nedra offered some great advice. I started by asking her why she focused her second book on family relationships. After writing Set Boundaries, Find Peace, people found it so very helpful. But one of the biggest challenge areas that many expressed was with family. How do we set these boundaries with families? When you're from an unhealthy, dysfunctional, or difficult family, or you have these difficult family members, even when you've done a lot of work through therapy and self-help, it can be really challenging to be assertive, to speak up for yourself, and to address some of these long patterns in family. So drama-free mm-hmm. was really birthed from a need for more work around people who have difficult family members. And the challenge often, too, with family members is that we see sort of the, the bad behavior, if you want to call it, it repeat itself. And uh, unless, you know, there is some work done, because you talk about you got to do the work, uh, you can really never be free uh, of the pain that you may be experiencing. Yes, but the work is on you. It's not on those family members. So if you are reading Drama Free, I want you to know that the book is for you. It is not for you to develop these magical powers of changing people. (laughs) The power is in changing yourself in those relationships, being realistic about your expectations of other people, and certainly standing up for yourself in those relationships. It can be much easier for us to just have people change, right? But it's also not what typically happens. If that were the case, I wouldn't have a book. So (laughs) what typically happens is people continue to be themselves over and over in different settings and different Mm -hmm. seasons in your house and my house and all over the place. They will be themselves. (laughs) And what we have to do is say, hey, This is how we can have a relationship. Or if you decide, because it is an option for you, 
to maybe end that relationship. And, and there's some fallout from that, dealing with the family who don't understand, dealing with people in general who are like, oh my gosh, but it's your mom, it's your sister. So in this book, there is support for many ways of dealing with unhealthy relationships. Now, in your work uh, as a therapist, have you found that many of your clients, that they bring their unhealed family trauma into new relationships they have as adults with with both romantic partners, but also with co-workers? Yes, it shows up all over the place. Certainly in romantic relationships, that's where we see the bigger issues because you're with your partner, you know, most of the time or daily. You see it in your parenting Mm -hmm. style. Sometimes it's, you know, making the decision to not be a parent, right? As a result of growing up with chaotic relationships. And sometimes people are continuing the chaos. Certainly in work relationships, you may see it where, oh my gosh, I, I don't like when people talk to me a certain way. And I'll ask someone, you know, why do you think this person is being aggressive with you? They're just like my father. That's how my father would talk to me. It's like, well, he's not at work. Is it possible that um, you are misplacing some of these beliefs around being you know, abused or having someone speak to you a certain way? And if it is the case that this is happening, how do we address it professionally? You know, maybe it's not remaining silent. Maybe it's saying, you know, hey, you get a little loud sometimes in meetings, but we have to be aware of what our stuff is to even address it with other people Mm. to say that, oh, you know, there's a certain tone of voice that scares me. When I hear a person getting, you know, to this level, I get a little scared because it reminds me of this. Now, you may not need that person to change that. But you need to be aware of that, that, oh, this is my stuff coming up. I am not in danger. This is not that situation. This is really my response to something that happened in the past with mm-hmm. someone else. That awareness is so powerful. And that is what is freeing. That That's what creates the, the drama free that you talk about. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I love about this book, Drama Free, is that you provide lots and lots of examples of behavior, behavior that is harmful. And then you explain why it's a problem and how to address it. How do we address it? So I want to talk about some of the unhealthy behavior that's very common in families and the impact. Uh, well, early on, you talk about boundary violations. So people who aren't really familiar with boundaries and boundary violations, uh, how do you describe what that is? Well, a violation is when you've clearly stated something and people refuse to respect or respond to what has been stated. So if you say to someone, um, please don't, you know, say those things to me about my sister. You know, I want to have a separate relationship. I don't want to, you know, blur our lines because you have an issue with this person and they continue to do it. They are now violating your boundary because it's been clearly stated to the other person mm-hmm. in families. There's this idea that the culture is what we create and not what I create. But I believe that culture is first. Um, you know, it's in our community. And then we have a decision on how we want to create our own internal and then external culture. Mm. And so for you, if your boundary is this, even if the family is saying, well, I'm going to talk about this as many times as I want to, you could say, oh, okay, well, 
here is my perspective and it's not changing the other person. The behavior could be when they start to talk about it, you change the topic. When they start to talk about this other person, you say, hey, you know, I asked you not to talk about this. I'm going to walk away and grab some water and, you know, I'll come back and maybe we could start on a different topic. Mm -hmm. It's you doing something different. It's not trying to change this person. It can be very powerful to change yourself in, in, in an interaction. That's something we really underestimate. We think, oh my gosh, they'll never listen to me. They'll never change this. Well, if you're consistently engaging in a different behavior with this person, guess what? They will change. It changes things. Yeah. It you- changes things. You, They haven't changed at all, but the situation has changed because of what you're doing differently. Mm-hmm. You dig into sibling relationships a lot and, and how they can become very complicated as people get older and become adults. It is very common for relatives to still treat each other the way they did when they were kids or young adults and, and then, you know, not acknowledge um who people are today. So what should we be aware of when it comes to these adult sibling relationships and the harm that can, can happen at, at, from words and actions? Mm. One of the things that I think is really important for listeners is if you are a parent, find a way to validate and also stay out of the dispute. We can validate when something is wrong without taking a side like, oh, that was unfair. Oh my gosh, yeah, people shouldn't hit you. But when people are adults, parents have a tendency to try to mediate because they're still in that space of wanting everyone to get along. And now everyone's an adult and they get to choose if they get along. You know, they're not in your house. They get some autonomy around how they want to be in relationships with siblings. So parents have to make a decision to not over-respond to the sibling relationships. Now, between siblings, it's really important to get to the root cause of the issue. There is resentment in sibling relationships. There may be some ideas around favoritism. There may be an inability to see a person as no longer being the baby in the family or no longer relying on this person because they're the oldest. So as adults, you may have to do some shape-shifting. You will have to change what those roles look like. And there may be some conversations that are tough. You know, I think for older siblings, what I've heard is, you know, my siblings still expect me to host the holidays. They still expect me to plan the trips. They still call me Mm -hmm. instead of our parents when this issue happens in their life. And the work there is to work yourself out of the role as the the co-parent, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're you're not the co-parent. We're we're all adults here. There's a mm-hmm. two-year difference. We all work with somebody who's a y- little younger than us. They're an adult. They can do their job. This person, this sibling, they can also live their life. Now you have to step away and let them know that you trust them to figure it out. You know, hey, this year we haven't done this before, but I'm willing to do something different. How about we host at your house? I'll bring some sides and you prepare the main thing and some desserts. So you have to be willing to relinquish the control of whatever your role has been in the family. If you're the youngest, you have to be willing to not be taken care of, you know, in some instances. Mm -hmm. So when it is causing a problem for you and other people in the family, it's very important to 
one, change your behavior. And sometimes to have that conversation with the other person and let them know, hey, you're going to see something different here. This is what I will start to do. Um, I want to talk about another important uh, challenge that, that you write about in the book. You talk about addiction and how addiction affects an entire family. And so what's important to note about, you know, drug use and excessive alcohol use and how it affects family relationships? Addiction impacts not just the person with the problem, but every single individual within the family. We see that with the development of coping skills. You know, many people who observe addiction also have challenges with addiction. Why? Because we are teaching coping skills. When you have a bad day, when you have a tough moment, when you're mad, when you're sad, we are teaching, you know, through behavior, how to respond to things. Um, The challenge with addiction in, in unhealthy families is people don't talk about it. It's almost this thing that is like very secret. It's look away. A thing that's a, yeah. Look away. It's ignored. It's not that bad. Oh my gosh, this person, they're, they're high and they just fell down. Let's just ignore them instead of addressing the issue. I have talked to a few families where um, there is some addiction challenge and people are on the same page about it. Like, you know, these are the boundaries we'll have at this family event. This is, these are the things we'll do. This is where this person can fit into this space. It's not about, oh, you can't have a relationship with this person. It's more about how can I have a relationship with a person who has a challenge with substances? Another family dynamic you address in the book uh, is being raised by grandparents. And this this was my situation growing up. You talk about uh, the sense of loss and abandonment that these kids can carry for a lifetime. And that is certainly something I identify with. So tell us more about that and why you wanted to highlight that in the book, Drama Free. Well, I've worked for years with people who have been raised by grandparents and I've seen a lot of people not necessarily go through foster care and adoption into those situations, but mostly um, this sort of communal adoption of you will live with your aunt, you will live with, you know, so and so grandparent and the parent is still somewhere in the picture. And this individual knows that although my grandmother loves me, although my grandfather loves me or my honor, whoever, mm-hmm. you know, the responsibility of me being raised relies on my parents, my mother and father. So there is still this need that is missing, even when you're being loved unconditionally by these other people, because innately we know that responsibility is not on these family members. It is really on the the people who produced us. And so there is a sense of loss. There is this sense of, you know, maybe feeling detached. Now, again, you know, with some therapy, with with some support, with some help, we can certainly start to reshape what this looks like in our lives. But there is a sense of loss in that relationship. Part three of your book, Nedra, talks about growing. Um, th- so the chapters have great titles, troubleshooting with parents, troubleshooting with siblings, uh, troubleshooting with children. And also extended family, navigating in-laws, managing blended families. You you get into all of it, uh, identifying situations, but also step by step. Here are some tools for you so that you can, can feel like you're living a drama-free life. 
And so that was important for you as well is to give people like there's a pathway, there's a way to do this. There are so many books that are problem focused. Your parent Mm -hmm. is emotionally neglectful. Your parent is absent. You've been abandoned. And that's great information. But what do we do with the information? Right. Each relationship might need a different set of skills. My relationship with my mother may not have the challenges that it might have with my siblings. And so in that part of the book, I thought it was very important to kind of pull those things out and talk about them as unique sort of relationships. Mm. And I want to make sure people know that they can can find you and hear your words of wisdom uh, every day because you have an, have an outstanding Instagram account where just daily you're providing videos and, and, and information advice. So tell us about what, how we can experience you on Instagram. Yes. On Instagram, I have a lot of free resources around mental health and relationships and boundaries. It is updated quite often. Also on my website, you will find some quizzes, my books and worksheets to help you through some things. So it is really important for me to have free resources and to also have spaces in, in, in a variety of ways where people can receive some support. And we still are dealing with, even though many more people are now getting help from therapists, um, there's still, you know, an access to therapists you know, problem. So you in many ways are trying to, again, make this information available to as many people as possible. Yes. And not only is there an access problem, I think we have to realize that everybody won't go to therapy Mm -hmm. and their access point might be Instagram. Their access point might be a website. Their access point might be um, a meditation coach. Everyone is not interested in therapy, but it doesn't mean that they are not interested in therapeutic tools and information. Oh, well, Nedra, I'm going to let you go because I know you have clients to see. Thank you so much for your time. And, and I want to remind our listeners uh, that the title of the new book is Drama Free, A Guide to Managing Unhealthy Family Relationships. And you'll find it uh, on Amazon. You can also find it on Audible and you can listen to Nedra uh, narrate the book. Again, Nedra Glover-Tawab, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me again. Now, back to advice on getting 2024 off to a good start. We're going to get some help on how to manage our time better. When we get it right, it frees us up to have time to relax and to do what we consider fun. Maybe that's reading a book or taking a nap. Maybe it's taking a walk outdoors or going to the gym. Maybe it's playing with our kids. But many of you can probably relate to the saying, there simply aren't enough hours in the day. We have deadlines at work, kids in school, appointments with doctors and dentists. And to top it off, we have to find time to buy food and cook meals. And oh, yes, don't forget to exercise, sleep eight hours a night and nurture relationships. Are we set up for failure? We're going to listen back to a conversation I had with a time management strategist about how we can manage our time so we won't continually feel rushed or behind. I talk with Kelly Nolan, a time management strategist and the mother of two. She's a former patent litigator who now consults professional working women on time management so that they can manage it all. Kelly is also the host of the Bright Method podcast. I started our conversation by asking about how she became so interested 
in time management. Well, I had been decently organized all the way through college and law school, and then I became an actual practicing attorney and just quickly started feeling pretty overwhelmed. Just the mm-hmm. amount of cases I was carrying, all the deadlines, how they interacted, and then I, you know, being a real adult for the first time, too, in my personal life. And on the outside, I looked like I had it together, which I think is very common. But inside, I just was stretched way too thin. I'd be out with, you know, friends trying to focus on a conversation with them and like a work thought would go by and suddenly my brain's over there while I'm trying to look engaged with them. And I just was like, this cannot be what life is supposed to feel like. Mm -hmm. And I kept looking for help out there and nothing really stuck beyond like two weeks. Mm -hmm. And one day I was in my law office and I had a row of legal pads next to me with to-do lists for every matter I was on. I had a swamp of post-it notes by my phone. I had post-it notes all over my computer. I mean, my email inbox, you know, emailing opposing counsel. And I was like, I got to hear back from this guy at this time, or we're not gonna be able to move for an extension. And I don't know what made me do it, but I BCC'd myself and I dragged his email to the little calendar icon in Outlook and you can create a calendar event and it saves the email in the body of the email. And I just wrote, if no word, follow up with this guy and saved it for two hours later. And it was the first time that I started seeing, oh, like there's a way that I can use a system outside of myself to help me show up in the way that I want to without my brain having to be at the alarm clock. And slowly over time, I started piecing together this system. I thought I was creating a system to help me get to where everybody else already was. Come to find out years later, a lot of people felt like I had. And so now I help people manage this system that can help them just manage it all because there is so much we're managing with a lot more clarity and a lot less stress. So there are tools that... We know work. Absolutely. Available to us. And so tell us about people who have come to you for help. Um, How do they describe what they're struggling with or what seems to be the problem? You did a nice job talking about what is happening to you internally. Yeah, I would say the vast majority of people, but not everybody, but the vast majority of people kind of have similarly reached a tipping point at some point that has caused them to feel overwhelmed. So a lot of people had a system that got them very far. They've accomplished a lot of things. They've gotten far in life. And then they get a promotion or they get a new job or another baby enters the picture or an alien parent comes in. And the systems that took them so far suddenly can't keep up with Mm -hmm. the rest of their life. And they feel stretched too thin. As I said, exhaustion is a lot of one, like that feeling of like, I just can't ever, I'm working so hard and I feel like I'm still showing up at like 60% of what I want to be. And so it's a lot of those types of feelings and just the overall stress. What is the benefit of getting it under control? What, I mean, what should be the incentive for someone taking some time to recognize, maybe I need some better time management tools and skills? There's so many benefits. I mean, the stress level is going down and obviously the mental and physical implications stress can have on our lives is one. Um, For a lot of people that I work with, our relationships are the most important parts of our lives. And when we're struggling on the time management front, we feel like our relationships suffer, whether we're not investing time or we're showing up as the like snippy, stressed out versions of ourselves or Mm -hmm. just not able to be present. And so when we can get a handle on time management, our relationships get better, um, our work product can be better. And for me, one of the key parts of a, the signs of a really good time management is your ability to take a break and actually enjoy it. And that's something I really strive to help clients with. And when you, what do you do in your free time? You know, this is such an interesting question. I feel like we, especially women, are told to that self-care looks like you know beauty treatments and this kind of stuff. And you really tapping into what what resonates with you and what gives you 
just feels feel you feel like light and life again. So for me, it's walking in the dogs with my um, sorry, walking in the woods with my dog. Um, mm-hmm. It's reading a paperback. I have two little kids, so that's rare and feels really special to me. And then those kind of my relationships are. My husband says my relationships are my hobbies, but it really looks more like these days one on one hangouts. I've realized that's when I feel most mm-hmm. filled up instead of kind of exhausted. After like, let me go over here and check on Cheryl and take a walk with her. Like that <laughs> yeah. makes you feel good. It feels great Talked to have about- a one on one real conversation with people feeling light yeah right let's go to st paul uh to talk with one of our listeners who is on hold this is joe good morning joe what do you want to tell us or ask good morning i am a full-time doctoral student a full-time health professional and have three kids with a blended family and who go to different schools so i would love strategies on managing multiple high priority email accounts on different servers and reducing the overwhelm of email waste and also managing multiple people's otherwise known as kids, schedules. Wow. Okay. And, and how old are, the, are your kids, Joe? Eight, nine, and 11. Wow. And you say you work full-time and you're a full-time uh, PhD student? Uh, doctor of nursing practice. Yep. Okay. I'm just taking a breath for you. Woo! You found time <laughs> to call. Let's, uh, Kelly, where, where do we start? Did you, you said something about emails, right? Yeah. So multiple high-priority email accounts, and they're on different servers. So I can't necessarily merge, you know, because some are Outlook, some are our Gmail. All right. What do you say to Joe? Well, you definitely definitely are managing a lot. And Mm -hmm. so my heart goes out to you on that side of things. Um, In terms of helping from a practical perspective, I am a big fan of a digital calendar. So just to be clear, I'm a paper lover. I still process by writing. But when it comes to managing time and tasks, there's a lot of beauty that comes with a digital calendar, including when you're managing multiple people like you are. And so what I like to do is kind of set up calendars like you can set up, whether this is Google, Outlook, Apple, separate calendars for separate people and get all of the logistics of each of their lives out in a digital calendar format so you can see it and you can see how they interact. And also, if you have a partner, you can share certain of those calendars with your partner to help facilitate the communication and the sharing of the load so that it's not such a mental load anymore, but it's out in the open. We can talk about it. We can have specifics. And we're not just constantly being like, when are you picking up the kids? Are you doing that today? All that kind of stuff. And so that's a really big first step. Um, I also think that especially with three kids, the amount of mental load and like invisible to-dos that come with that is something I would also work at unloading into that calendar. Let that calendar carry the weight of that. So even your personal life, like when are you going to shower and get ready in the morning? Wait, 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 wait. You have to account for that, right? Because it takes time. Exactly. So showering and getting ready, walking the dog, prepping meals. You know, if you have little kids, I know your kids are a little older, but for those of us who have little kids like bed and bath time with the kids, all of those take hours of our day when you tallying them up, but we don't usually calendar them. We don't usually put them on a to-do list. And so they're just living in our head and we're not accounting for them in a realistic plan. So when you're managing all of these kids on top of all of the other stuff you're handling, Joe, is really getting them out of your head so that you can see if what you're trying to do is realistic. So you can make adjustments. You can eliminate some stuff that you just decide isn't worth it. And so that's where I would start. I know I'm throwing a lot at you and I never like to sugarcoat time management. Um, let me just turn to the email side of things just to help with that. Email is kind of a work invisible to do. It's one of those things that we typically don't also calendar time for, but takes up hours of our day, which you're getting at. Um, the average American worker spends 2.6 hours on email, and that was from a 2012 McKinsey study. I'm sure it's higher now. But it's not in anybody's calendar. Exactly. And so mm-hmm. let's say you have 2.6 hours of email every day, and you have your 
two full-time jobs and all these kids on top of it, even if you just didn't calendar that, it's not a surprise that every day you're like, where did this day go? Because you had an extra two and a half hours of work. Um, so that is the type of thing that I would protect time for. And in addition to the benefit of you protecting time for it, it also helps you then plan more realistically because you have a better understanding of what remaining capacity you have to give to any of the other one-off stuff. But I do want to just empathize that this stuff is hard. And if you're, I, I feel like we have this belief that time management should be like natural and like we should in- inherently know how to do this stuff. And so when we don't, we kind of blame ourselves. And I just want to just say that this stuff is hard. And if you struggle with it, I really I get it. And you're not weird. And there are a lot of very successful people who are also struggling with this, too. And a question. Um, you mentioned the digital calendars. How do I find a digital calendar? You said there are many options. Yeah. So the main ones I work with um, that I think are most common are some people are in Outlook just because they have right. to be for work or they like it. Um, Apple has their own native calendar app. Mm-hmm. And then Gmail has like Google has mm-hmm. their own as well. And when I like to think about which ones should you end up with? It's a conversation around, you know, what are you already with in terms of work? And then also, if you have a partner, what are they on? Because you would, it's really beneficial to be on the same platform as your partner, mm-hmm. even if it's just in your personal life. I will say the tech setup, I wish all these techs were like better friends with each other. That can be a real pain point to get them to talk to each other. But mm-hmm. we, even if we can't, we help account for each and the other. Uh, let's take this call in Minneapolis. Uh, Ananda, what did you want to ask or tell us? I wanted to share uh, something that I've been working with my son, who's now 16, mm-hmm. since he was in uh, middle school. So he ha- he has he's in a fairly advanced school and he has a lot of homework, mm-hmm. um, and he works a little slower maybe than than other kids. So um, and he our weekends often are a stress point for him. He wants to you know he wants to go out and play. He wants to um, he has his sports that he has to do. He has his homework that he has to do. Um, so I started having him chart, writing out what topics he has, how much time he thinks mm-hmm. each topic homework is going to take him, and then we break the day into three sections, morning, afternoon, evening, and I say, um, you, you put what homework you're going to work on in these times, and then we can work together on what we want to do, where that fits in, and then uh, we just stick to the schedule, and then I also ask him to write the actual time it takes him. So that mm-hmm. he'll get better at guesstimating how long things are going to take him. And this is um, this is a gift to him, right? Because you, um, I'm imagining he's he's he looks uh, stressed to you, and you don't want to see that in a 16 year old. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this really showed up on a weekend where he felt like he had so much homework, and we were, you know, we had something scheduled, and he just didn't see how he could do it all. Aww. Oh, all right. Good job, Dad. Thank you, uh, Ananda, for that phone call. Uh, a lot of young people, uh, high school students, college students, struggle with time management, and it, it makes them unhappy. And it is hard to see that. So, uh, what are you, what are your thoughts about what this dad is doing? I absolutely love it because it guessing and estimating how long things take is something that we don't mm-hmm. talk enough about around time management, and we all struggle with underestimating. It's I, I have people come to me and they're like almost ashamed of like, I'm really bad at knowing how long things take me. And I, it's, it's the number one issue that I work on with clients. We all have that. And so the it's, it is such a gift to him that you're starting to develop that muscle of not only when am I going to do it, but how long does it take and does it fit with everything else that I want to do today? Um, so I think that that's just phenomenal. And I think that especially with kids, 
When you look at a calendar, if you only use a calendar for meetings and class times and maybe sports practices, there's a lot of white space. But everyone knows that's not just like, we got nothing to do in free time. <laughs> like It's right. actually really difficult. And so I think it's such a gift to teach them not just how to guess it, like guess at how long things are going to take and then also compare to the actual and so that you can like get better at that but also tying it to time of like when am I going to do this task I'm going to do that here when am I going to do this I'm going to do it here and then also building in the fun things yeah that breaks my heart to see particularly you know like family events or things that should be fun that people remove themselves from like I don't have time I would yeah. love to do that and then that creates its own you know stress speak to me about prioritization because that is a key to this as well Yep. I think we all know that prioritization is important. I think that what when it gets tricky is that, like, we know we need to say no, and we know we need to prioritize. But when do I say no? How do I prioritize? How do I know how much I can put into this schedule, like how many priorities I can have? And so that part is where it gets a little bit tricky and having a practical system that can show you, okay, this is my capacity because I see my awake hours and then I see all those invisible to-dos in there. And in prioritization conversations, a part that I see missing too much from American work culture is the need to, yes, get clear on priorities, but also ensure there's time and energy to meet those priorities which requires elimination. And we have to get clear on we're prioritizing these things and therefore we are eliminating these things, saying no to things. But from a just a leadership perspective, those those tough decisions need to be made on the outset so that workload is more manageable so people can hit the priorities with success. We're talking about time management, how to get better at it so that we have more free time. In Minneapolis, Rebecca's on the phone. Rebecca, thank you for waiting and calling in. What do you want to tell us? Um, I have a small business here in Minneapolis, and I've been doing it for a few years now. And when I started, it seemed like I just didn't have time. I didn't know (laughs) where I was going, what I was doing. And I ended up kind of running myself a little bit ragged. And I I found something that really worked for me was to um, put in a schedule on the Google Calendars app, which is free and easy to use. And I would put in all the questions or comments or things that I needed to remember for that day phone numbers, people involved, the places I was going, and scheduling in with my work life and taking time out of that, looking at that calendar and seeing what I had scheduled for myself and what time I was taking for that. And it really helped me being able to just say, it's all my questions, everything I need to know is in one place, and I can just kind of put it away at the end of the day and not be sitting there going, I'm forgetting something. So, so I just thought that that was a really helpful thing for me. So the before and after, Rebecca, I, after you figured mm-hmm. it out, it, are you a different person? Is life better now? Oh, yeah. It's a lot easier. At the end of the day, I would just be sitting there going, I think I forgot something. You know, I think I got everything with work done. But then mm-hmm. I would forget to have called my mom or made time for friends that I thought was like an important thing for me. And also, like, the days that have gone by, like, sometimes we do get busy and we just put in that extra time. And, you know, that can be important when you're building a business, but you have to stop and say that I've been busy for, like, the last month and I need to stop and take some time for myself. So Mm -hmm. having something that's, like, with you all the time, as soon as something comes up, just put it in your calendar. That way you have something to reflect back on and it's not just all swirling in your head at all times, even if it's really simple 
easy things, you know, you get busy and that easy stuff just doesn't become so easy anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you. That's Rebecca in Minneapolis. Uh, Another phone call uh, in Minneapolis. This is Connor on the line. Connor, thank you for waiting. And what do you want to tell us or ask about time management? Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Thanks so much for creating space for this conversation. Mm -hmm. So I am a husband and a father. I have a full-time job. I'm in an MBA program here in Minneapolis, and I'm a reservist in the military, so I'm busy. Mm-hmm. And these tools that you're talking about are vital, and I, and I use some of them. My question is maybe a, a, a surface below that, which is tools are great, but how does a person, in your opinion, how have you built that kind of focus, discipline, muscle? Um, because without that, I mean, the tool is going to be kind of useless. Uh, and I'm just curious about your thoughts on that. Focus. So yeah. Thank you, Connor. And thank you. People are busy and productive. I'm very proud of our, our listeners today. Right? <laughs> Juggling a lot, but focus. I mean, even for me, you know, I can have time allotted. Okay, I'm going to write. I'm going to read. But if I'm not focused, it doesn't happen. So what are your thoughts uh, on that? That's Kelly? a great question. I mean, you do have a lot going on. So I also understand that what I would recommend doing is first, and it sounds like you might already be doing this is calendaring the time, even just getting really clear on when do I focus best? When is my energy good? Is it when? Yeah, like, am I best in the morning? Um, For some clients, it's not the morning. So don't fall prey to like, you know, the traditional things. Like if you have a lot of like workplace fires in the morning, but things settle down around one, maybe that's the better time to try and focus. And so just being clear on what's your energy, and then let's match make between high energy tasks and high energy windows, and then also put low energy tasks in the low energy windows. Um, And another thing that I would say, is some people have tried time blocking to an extent. They'll say they use their calendar predominantly for meetings, but they'll put in one task one day and they're just like, this is when I'm going to do it. And then the time rolls around and they don't do it. And they're like, I don't have discipline. And the reality is, is they can't trust that system yet because they know, oh, I have these five other to-do lists and something on there might be more important. So let me go over there. And in reality, that might be smart. Something on those to-do lists might be smarter. And so what I believe is to use these tools like we're talking about, you really do need to calendar like 95% of the things you have going on and sprinkle them over time to see how they can play out in the future so that when that time comes around, you can trust that that is what you should be working on and that the other things do have time protected in the future. And it's okay that you don't do that right now. Um, I want to pick up on something you said, time of day. Uh, I I think maybe because my, I'm more rested, I can write better and faster. I can get things done early in the morning. But late at night, I find I'm more creative. That's when I get ideas, topics, guests, you know, like ideas come at night, like with creativity. But in terms of being able to write or read and comprehend, that happens for me early in the morning. So identifying uh, parts of the day when you are productive, or there's certain times of the day, like, oh, I'm distracted because I'm like, hungry, or I'm distracted because I need a nap. So you have to know yourself and and your body, I guess, your, your own, um, your own tendencies. Absolutely. And it can change over time. I think mm-hmm. sometimes you can find a flow that works really well for you. And if it changes over time during life phases, you know, be mm-hmm. open to that. And also look at your schedule with an eye towards energy. So if you're doing a big presentation at work, know that you're probably going to be exhausted after that. And maybe mm-hmm. you do some lower energy things following that so that, again, you're matchmaking your energy with the task you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the grocery shopping after I do, or I'm going to hit the car wash exactly. after, <laughs> after I do the presentation. Let's take uh, more calls from listeners if we talk about time management skills. In Bloomington, Jenny's on the phone. Hi, Jenny. What do you want to tell us? Hi. Thank you for this topic. It's mm-hmm. incredibly practical. 
I wanted to share a resource that I've been using now for over a year by a local author, Mm -hmm. John Brandon, and it's called The 7-Minute Productivity Solution. And he has two seven-minute routines that I found very helpful in my – I do a lot of of gigs, a lot of writing, and I find I'm very distracted when I sit down. What do I tackle first? And his first routine is where you define what's meaningful and what is my purpose, where are moments of hope. So it's kind of clearing my head and settling in for the day. And then this next seven-minute routine is doing what you just talked about, where it's like, what are all my tasks? And then how do I time block the tasks? And I find doing the first routine of what is my purpose and what are what's, what's hopeful, I come into the day with a much more positive attitude rather than a, a do or dread kind of approach mm. to productivity. So It's no fun um, to wake up in the morning been, dreading the day, right? Does that happen? No. Yeah. Exactly. And this helps me be thankful and have a more positive attitude, which flows into productivity. Mm, Thank you. That's Jenny uh, in Bloomington, taking control of the situation and and that book, The Seven Minute Productivity Solution, she recommends. Uh, Another phone call. This is uh, in Plymouth. That's Kelly on the phone. Hi, Kelly. What do you want to tell us about uh, time management? Hi. um, I went from the world of accounting and being busy at work to having twins and being a stay-at-home mom. And now I have four kids, three in elementary and one in preschool. And as a stay-at-home mom and trying Mm -hmm. to manage all that, and I have a husband that travels for work, I have goals and things I want to get done. And then at the end of the day, I'd be like, I didn't get my things done. (laughs) Um, Like, Where does that time go? Mm -hmm. And how am I using my time? So um, what I did is I printed off our school calendar And I highlighted in orange the 32 days we have off during the academic year. So those are mom-led days. Um, And then I went ahead and I highlighted with four kids the days my kids are homesick in a different color. And then I started highlighting the weeks my husband's traveling for work. And then when the kids have appointments, and there's usually five snow days a year. So for me, I looked at that calendar and I say, I haven't cleaned out the kids' closets. I haven't done this project organized this or that or gotten these things done that I wanted to. And I look at my calendar and it's full of color. And I say, (laughs) as a stay-at-home mom, my job is to drop everything when a kid's sick from school, you know, when a kid has an appointment. And so all that color tells me I didn't get the things I wanted, but I'm still doing so much. Mm -hmm. And it makes me feel better about Mm -hmm. my expectations. Right. Because uh, we need to be kind to ourselves and have reasonable expectations, um, mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. And thank you for all that you're doing and, and, and for calling in. Uh, what do you hear in, in her story? Well, I'm right there in the trenches with you on that um, from having a two year old and a five year old. And just I, I and was your husband's an emergency room doctor. And yeah, my husband's an emergency room doctor. So I am definitely the primary caregiver and the one who has to drop everything um, when anything goes sideways. And I I just really understand where you're coming from. And I think that you've done such a remarkable job of bringing to light and just embracing the reality of the situation. I think so often when we think I didn't get enough done, we just aren't appreciating all that we are doing mm-hmm. <laughs> in reality. Right. Because you did the eight things, right? right? But you didn't get to the last three. Right. And so, you know, to me, a lot of that comes down to that calendaring out your invisible to-do list so you can see just all mm-hmm. the things that you're juggling. But I also love what you have done of just getting clear on 
the amount of time that kids aren't in school. I heard a podcast, I think it's called The Mom Hour, More Experienced Moms Than I, that they said they actually were curious and went through the school year and something like 50% of the weeks are not five-day weeks. Embracing that reality helps us set our own expectations and how we feel about we what we accomplish during the day. Tell me about, more about your work. So you're a time management strategist. You work in small groups or or what do you do with people? I run two programs a year. Um, usually about 25 to 35 working women from different industries. So um, a lot of legal, just given my background, but also physicians, I would say 50% corporate, and then some miscellaneous, a lot of um, college professors, people along those lines. And what I do is just teach this system that helped me go from an overwhelmed young attorney to someone who feels more on top of it and that has served me and adapted to me through every phase of my life now. Um, And so we get started with that invisible to-do list on the personal life, and then we turn to getting intentional with our work hours and reclaiming those. And then we really turn to a six-step process of backing out those one-off projects, and then we wrap things up with a planning session, and then we stick around for a couple weeks to play it all out together. So it's Um, like a class. It is, and it's all online. You know, I love teaching the system. I love the results it can get people. I also find it just the secret magic that I did not expect is having a group of women come together who are very high achieving and everyone being impressed with each other and seeing, oh, if you're struggling with this too, Mm -hmm. then maybe I can let go of the self-blame and just stop blaming myself for these issues and look for a solution outside of myself. And it's really, it's it's really a joy to be part of. And so I love it. Because we don't want people to beat themselves up, but we just want everyone to recognize that this does steal a lot of joy from people and that it can be managed better. Let's take another phone call. This is Joe in Minneapolis. Hi, Joe. Hi, thank you for having me. Yes, what do you um, want to whenever tell us? I, whenever I'm doing a task, I find that I find periods of um, what I call dead time. So if I'm cooking, I can find like a seven-minute period where something needs to saute for a bit. And instead of looking at my phone for those seven minutes, I instead just decide to try to get the kitchen or sweep the floor instead. And, and that sort of helps me remove a block of time at the end of the day dedicated to just chores since I'm taking care of it while I'm doing other things. And that way I can really just enjoy these blocks of time for myself and my family and my cats. Thank you. That's uh, Joe in Minneapolis. About multitasking, there are studies, I believe, that show only 2% of the population can actually multitask. And so I think that's just a good thing to... So you think you are, but you're not. Yeah. And (laughs) so, but that's a nice thing to embrace is just like, I'm going to focus on this one thing and then I'll turn to the next thing. One thing I like to, though, think about is you you can't multi-focus. And that's a point by Greg McEwen in Essentialism. And he talks about how that's why you can listen to a podcast and walk your dog or listen to a podcast and wash the dishes. But you can't listen to a podcast and work. And so try not to just catch yourself when you're trying to multi-focus is really where you want to catch yourself and just really bring yourself into the one steps. And then I on the social media and scrolling and all that kind of stuff, it is so hard. I mean, I think we so often talk about social media like all or nothing or like your phone all or nothing. But like being clear, like this is I'm okay spending 20 minutes a day, 40 minutes a day, whatever it might be on your phone and letting like own it and let yourself enjoy it. Maybe set a timer to help you get off because we all lose track of time. Mm-hmm. But then also give yeah. yourself maybe a menu of options in your ca- – like know when you go on social media. So for me, it's like once the kids are in bed, if I sit down on the couch <laughs> and get <laughs> on social media, like it's trouble. And so what you want to do is give future tired you a menu of other things that they might want to do. Like 
you know, something fun, listening to a fun audiobook or, you know, doing that art class online you want to do. So help future you know what the alternative is. So you're not being like scroll or not scroll. And you're like, well, scroll versus mm-hmm. something else that you would really enjoy doing. I'm, I'm taking that to heart. You cannot multi-focus. We've been listening to a conversation I had a few months ago about time management and ways to juggle all of our responsibilities more effectively. We just heard from Kelly Nolan, a time management strategist and the mother of two. She's a former patent litigator who now consults professional working women on time management so they can manage it all. Kelly's also the host of the Bright Method podcast. Earlier in the hour, we heard from therapist and best-selling book author Nedra Glover-Tawab. She gave us some great advice on how to set boundaries in our family relationships. Okay, 2024, we're ready for you. Let's go. Be safe, everyone. We'll talk again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.